All right, guys, what is up? We're back for the 78th installment of the Playing to Win podcast. Uh, returning guests, one of my favorites of all time, actually. I think one of my all-time favorite conversations I've had that I often recommend the most is the last interview that I had with Dr. Anthony J. Anthony, how you doing, my friend? Doing good. I got some of your soap after the last time <laughs> we talked. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into toiletries and stuff like that as well, I'm sure. Um, but I've yeah, I've had this soap sponsor that some people like it, some people hate it, but you know, we'll talk about toiletries as well when we're live because that's one of the areas of your expertise. So I I was introduced to you by a mutual friend who said you got to read this guy's book, Estro Generation, downloaded it, listened to it, uh, was blown away by the knowledge and uh, content that was in it. So um, it basically talks about environmental estrogens um, that when you either put on your body or put in your body, uh, start acting like estrogen in your own body. And that causes a lot of downstream effects for men. Uh, the subtitle of your book, I think, is um, how, how Estrogens Make You Fat, Sick, and Infertile, right? Yep, yep. So you've been doing DNA consulting. It uh, seems like you know a ton about the human endocrine system. I think you focus more mostly on men, or do you deal with men and women? I uh, know men and women, yeah. Okay. I mean... Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how it affects both the sexes then for sure. But give the viewers yeah. right now a little bit of rundown of, you know, who you are and, you know, what you're kind of famous for right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I got a PhD in biochemistry in case people didn't watch the previous episode. People should go back and watch the previous episode, by the way, because number one, it was entertaining. And number two, we actually did an analysis of your genetics. Yeah. Um, on my DNA. People people are probably going to want to see because I'll, I'll, you know. I'll dig it up and I'll put it in the description of the video after it renders. But if you're looking for it, watching this right now, just search on YouTube for Richard Cooper and Dr. Anthony J and it comes up right at the top. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a PhD in biochemistry from Boston university medical school. I actually did virus research before that on HIV inhibitors. So I have a lot of experience with viruses and and then I did Alzheimer's research for three years, but my PhD is actually in sex hormones and cholesterol. And so that's kind of how it, you know, led to this book on estrogens that you were mentioning. And, and of course, I wrote that book after I got my PhD, uh, worked at Mayo Clinic for three years as a scientist. And now I'm just completely independent uh, doing DNA co consults and writing and speaking. What do you... Um... So when it comes to DNA consults, because I know that's a big part of your day-to-day -day now, um, who's your typical avatar? Like, like who's your customer that wants their DNA analyzed and how do you go about analyzing it for them and what do they get out of it? Yeah, so my typical person is just completely normal people generally. I've done plenty of pro athletes. I had a guy from the Buffalo Bills recently. Uh, you know, I get MMA fighters. I do a lot with the special forces. Uh, I have a contract with them, so I've... I've given talks for them at their little summits and they don't let me advertise on social media. They say, Hey, you can talk about this with other people, but you can't go on social media and advertise these because these are semi secret summit health summits that they have. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so some of it's in the elite of the elite, but most of my clients are just normal people that want to optimize their health and watch out for diseases that they otherwise could get that you can easily prevent. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm working on this heart disease book right now, too, because, you know, heart disease in America is just thought of as a cholesterol issue. And it's it's sad, frankly, because some people have genetic issues relating to iron 
and they have too much iron in their blood mm-hmm. that oxidizes it damages their arteries they get a heart attack and you know what the doctor's going to blame mm-hmm. cholesterol every mm-hmm. day some people it's related to sh- blood sugar right a lot of people blood sugar if that's high enough it damages your arteries you get damage the doctor's going to blame cholesterol mm-hmm. on and on i mean sometimes it's even plants rich you know we probably didn't mention this last time but it's it's a fairly rare genetic issue, but some people have a problem with plant cholesterol, meaning their body doesn't clear plant cholesterol. And I'm not saying like spinach, I'm saying all plants, mm-hmm. right? Like plants have plant cholesterol. And if your body doesn't clear that, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. It's called cytosterols. And if you're in the UK, it's called phytosterols, but um, that can damage your arteries. The doctors will never check your blood for phytosterols, right? Because it's such a rare issue. And the real solution for that is to go carnivore, like to eat a lot of meat. And again, this is pretty rare. I'm not just globally recommending carnivore for everybody. Mm-hmm. But for those people, it's a lifesaver. Uh, it protects their arteries. You know, and again, when they do get damaged to their arteries, if they don't do a DNA consult and actually understand what's actually going on, oftentimes they're on the statins. It didn't help. They've had two heart attacks already. The doctors are still blaming the cholesterol. You see what I mean? So. There's so many different ways you can have heart disease. It could be homocysteine. It could be whatever. There's so many different ways. And it's always about inflammation, right? At the end of the day, it's either inflammation from plant cholesterol. It's inflammation from, uh, you know, blood sugar. It's inflammation from iron in your blood. It's inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. Mm -hmm. And everybody's blaming cholesterol, which is a red herring. Yeah. Let's let's definitely talk about um, heart heart disease and the cholesterol component in this uh, podcast as well. Let's sort of recap um, the environment sorry the sources of estrogen whether it's Mm. it's it's coming from food things you drink things you put on your body like what are the main sources of endocrine disruptors in and most of my audience has been you know keep in mind there's probably about five ten percent of people that watch that are women so you can touch on that too but i think they're mostly interested interested in how how does this disrupt the male endocrine system and either lower testosterone and or lower testosterone and increase estrogenics in your body and what that does to the body too. So, yep. Yep. Well, the main sources I think of these fake estrogen chemicals are personal care products and liquids like drinking water, people drinking water out of their faucets without filtering it. Um, plastic bottles, you know, where they store water in plastic bottles, even room temperature. There's a lot of leaching of the plastic chemicals into the water. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two major sources. Sunscreen's another source. I guess that lumps into the personal care products. A lot of foods have estrogens like soy and things like that we can get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they lower testosterone, there's actually three ways. Um, number one, they just lower your testosterone. <laughs> you know, your body thinks you have more estrogen that lowers your testosterone. So it's, it's your total testosterone. As far so as the male endocrine system, how it, how it operates, you know, just, just for clarity, um, do, is, is estrogen produced from testosterone in men? Because I know that there's a, yep. uh, inhibitor that you use for people that have high estrogen, uh, an AI yep. inhibitor. So yep. estrogen's made from the conversion of testosterone to estrogen in the male body. So that would mean, you know, just follow my kind of like dumb Neanderthal logic as a guy that's not a doctor or scientist here. Um, if you have high estrogens in your body, then your body recognizes that it's already got enough estrogen, so it doesn't need to produce more testosterone to convert it. Is that the path? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's sure. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a feedback. Yeah, it's called feedback, right? Like negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so there's that number one it, it's communicating to your body like hey we've got a lot of testosterone even though you don't right mm -hmm. um let's shut down that production so that's your total testosterone but it also lowers your free testosterone because it, it blocks the availability of the testosterone in your body mm -hmm. and and honestly, we don't understand the mechanism completely on that one, but we, we know it lowers the free. I mean, you can look at it up on a blood test, right? You can do studies with animals and give them more of these chemicals in a dose responsive way and watch their free testosterone go down. Mm -hmm. So it clearly lowers total, it lowers free. But the one that's almost the most interesting um, and the most problematic is that these estrogen chemicals block binding to the receptor. And you know, so when you have hormones just going through your bloodstream, you've got little receptors on the cells that pick them out. And that, of course, is how they get into the cells, right? And how they, you know, they cause muscle growth or hypertrophy or whatever the hormones are doing. And if you don't have receptors, your cells can't pick them up and you're not going to get the muscle growth and the, the response from the hormones. So if you're blocking binding to the receptor, right? it might look like your testosterone is good. It might look like your free is good and your total testosterone is good, but it's called testosterone uh, uh, resistance, just like insulin resistance, right? Like people uh, with diabetes are familiar with insulin and insulin resistance. You can have really high levels of insulin, but your body becomes resistant to it, right? So you have to inject more. The same thing happens with testosterone where if you're blocking binding the to the receptor, you get resistant to it. So even if the levels look pretty good, and honestly, most Americans' levels don't look pretty good at all. <laughs> They're terrible. And they've lowered the normal range a lot of times. They've lowered it more than once since the 1980s because in the 1980s, the average male was 500 on their total testosterone, mm -hmm. just total testosterone. Um, and that's the Massachusetts aging study. Mm -hmm. In the 1990s, the average male was about 400. In the 2000s, we were down in the 300s, like 324 or something. Really? That average. much? Mm -hmm. just over a few decades yeah yeah that's interesting really because quickly. because i've um you know i've consumed a lot of um like evo psych books and even even guys you know like journalists like graham hancock where they talk about these ancient you know civilizations and you know they sort of like get into these dialogues about dig sites and one of the things that sometimes comes up is uh they mention that testosterone levels way back when were yep. a lot higher than what they were today and you know some people go oh well how, you know how do you know that that's just you know you know, boy science, but it's like, well, one of the ways from what I understand, I think it's the ring finger uh, would have grown longer if in your teen years you had higher testosterone was one of the reasons. Is that true? Hmm. Uh, that I don't know. Might be. Okay. Well, well, apparently, I mean, if you hold up your fingers, your mm -hmm. ring finger, you know, your third one should be longer than your middle finger if you had high testosterone in your teen years. The other thing too, is they can see like a more squaring of the jaw yeah. too. Like the bone structure changes slightly with higher yeah. testosterone levels in the teen years. So, I mean, yeah. your bones kind of tell that story, right? Yeah. The facial, facial structure is the one I'm most familiar with the measurement mm -hmm. I'm most familiar with. And that one's pretty accurate. Okay. And they estimate that just a normal male in paleo times was around 1,500 on their total testosterone. 1,500. Mm -hmm. And you were saying yeah. the numbers back in the 1980s when they started to collect the study data, it was 500 and it went down to 300 and 200. Yep. And we have That's data insane. from like, yeah, we have data from like the 1920s and things. And there was plenty of guys walking around seven, 800. It's pretty normal. It's hard to know how good the technology was for, for measuring these hormones back in the 1920s, but it is insane. And it's, it's sad because 
I talk to people all the time that are 250 mm. on their testosterone and the doctors tell them it's normal. That's yeah, the sad part. Yeah, it's a whole thing where, you know, the kid can't dunk the basketball, so they lower the net to make it easier yeah, for them yeah. to dunk it sort of thing. Like, that's how they yeah. make it work today. Yeah, it's it's insane. And, and girls are going into puberty younger and younger. They are. And people are literally writing in medical journals right now arguing, medical doctors are arguing we should lower the normal range for puberty. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So what's so how does all that affect girls too? Like, how does that affect women? Yeah, usually you see more fertility problems. That's the most dramatic one. Um, it's it's interesting. Sometimes you actually see androgenation. You see masculinization, like the virilization. Right? Like, yeah, with these with these estrogen chemicals. Uh, for women, it's like a completely different thing. But the the thing that bothers women the most is they often cause weight gains, because like when women are pregnant, naturally when women are pregnant, their body stores more fat, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Every woman knows this who's ever been pregnant. You can have a 10-pound baby, but she's got 50 pounds of weight, right? Mm. And that's because estrogen naturally tells your body to store more fat because it's an efficient storage form for energy, mm. right? Um, so that's a natural thing. That's a good thing. But because our ancestors didn't always have access to food, but now in our modern society, we always have plenty of food, it seems like, and, and most people at least. Um, don't want to gain a lot of extra weight. Now, these artificial estrogen chemicals, they trigger that same process. So they tell your body that you're pregnant, basically, and you start storing more fat. So that, of course, <laughs> causes a lot of women consternation and men, too. I mean, nobody wants to gain more fat, right? And men know this. Men that take testosterone replacement therapy, they immediately see their body mass improve, usually, mm -hmm. right? Because... When your testosterone goes up, you know, your metabolism goes up and estrogen is no longer as as much of a it's it's a balance. Right. I mean, your estrogen goes up a little bit, too. But as long as your testosterone is up, that ratio is what really matters. They're both. It's not always it's not always good, like easy for a lot of guys. I find when they go on testosterone replacement therapy, because if they've got extra like body weight, especially belly fat, they've mm -hmm. got more of that um, enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen estrogen so it seems like yeah their testosterone levels go up but they also kind of remain like pear-shaped it doesn't like unless they change their diet and start to exercise yep. i don't often see a huge difference i mean is that what you're seeing too yeah yeah well it, dep it depends exactly you have to change your diet and lifestyle in our yeah. culture you have to i mean so the, the grains and the carbs the carb heavy diets that most people have it's terrible for people so if you could make a list of like the top five things that, that, that guys should avoid when it comes to mm -hmm. inviting environmental estrogens from things they put on their skin or things they put in their body, what would the top five things be for you? Unfiltered drinking water or drinking water from plastic bottles. Can you explain why drinking water is such an issue? Yeah. So plastics leach estrogen chemicals. They're called phthalates. They're called BPA, bisphenols. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, BPA oftentimes not used anymore so it'll say bpa free on the label but then the companies just use bps so they just manipulate the molecule a little bit it still acts like estrogen in fact it's probably worse for you than bpa but they market it as bpa free so people assume it's okay now and mm. by the way just, just let me just step back for a second we'll keep going on the top five but okay i don't think we mentioned this last time um it, because we didn't talk as much about the estrogens but um, in the 1930s, there was a man named, a scientist named uh, 
Charles uh, Charles Dodds, I believe, D-O-D-D-S, Dodds. Mm-hmm. And he developed BPA as a birth control. That's why he developed it. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, he, he made it from a, a compound called diethylstilbestrol. D-E-S mm-hmm. is the can look it up on Wikipedia, D-E-S, um, because there's such a thing as DES babies, D-E-S babies. And I know a bunch of them. A lot of them follow me because I've raised a lot of awareness on this just by mm-hmm. writing my book and talking about it. Because this was a, a drug, a prescription drug that doctors were giving pregnant women for like 50 years, professionally writing prescriptions and saying, here's your morning sickness drug, D-E-S, again, mm-hmm. diethylstilbestrol, but... Um, and then the, you know, they were taking it for morning sickness, but it was acting like estrogen in their bodies and disrupting hormones in the fetus. And from that compound, again in the 1930s, the scientist made BPA, mm-hmm. but they realized they could make a lot more money making it into plastic, and so that's what they did. And they told everybody it doesn't leach. They assured everybody, look, there's no leaching. You can make a plastic bottle put water in there. There's no leaching into the, you know, of these BPA chemicals. Cause again, it's birth control, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people knew that they didn't want any, any of that chemical, but they did a big marketing campaign, really, really pushed. It doesn't leach. It doesn't leach. It doesn't leach. The government got behind it. Like they usually do. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of money involved and, you know, obviously it leaches. I mean, now it's very clear. It's super, super obvious thousands of scientific studies showing number one how bad bpa is for you and number two how much it leaches so of course bpa bpa free is a common thing now they're using bps just so people know so any so any plastic container for water or food is going to leach and most of it estrogen compound in your body yeah if If you have liquids if you have liquids in the plastic what about the um what about the issue with birth control ending up in the drinking water is that still a problem oh yeah yeah can you explain that yeah, so they don't filter out micro molecules like birth control. So the municipal water supplies or the municipal water filtration systems, the treatment plants, they're good at killing viruses, they're good at killing bacteria, but they don't filter out birth control. And a lot of things, honestly, like a lot of prescription drugs end up in there too. Okay. And people are drinking this stuff and it's and safe. That comes it's from urine, right? Like women take the birth mm-hmm. control pill, it ends exactly. up with urine through the water system. It's a hormone, they can't get it out. Yeah, exactly. Good point. And, uh, and, and it's specifically designed for your body not to break it down, right? Mm-hmm. Like they make that chemical intent, like they make birth control molecules <laughs> with the intention that your body doesn't break it down. So it stays mm-hmm. in your body longer and it works at a lower dose and all this kind of thing. Okay. And so, and same with a lot of these pesticides and herbicides that end up in the drinking water. So even yeah. if you live in like, like the middle atrazine. of nowhere, yeah, atrazine is one of the one I was going to mention. I mean, yeah. if you live in farm country, where there's there's nobody peeing in your drinking water, you still end up with a lot of these chemicals that act like estrogen leaching into your water. So if you have a well dug, then you could technically have atrazine in your well. well yeah. Water. Oh yeah. Okay. So what? So to solve this problem, with number one, with water, um, a a reverse osmosis water filter is that the best way to go, or is there something better than that? That's what I use. Yeah. Okay. So I like a five stage, like it's got those five different canisters, like that'll get out the estrogens. Oh yeah. 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 Literally anything with activated charcoal. If you've got a filter that has, does that work? Oh yeah. Brita's have activated charcoal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Problem is a lot of people filter it and they put it back into plastic. 
Right, because Britas are plastic. I, I've not seen a glass Brita filter system yet. Yeah, me neither. So they make they make uh, filters that you can screw onto your sink mm -hmm. um, and just go direct into your cup. It like flips up and flips down. Those right, work. Yeah. The other thing some people do is they filter it into the plastic and then they immediately pour it into glass. That's fine too. The longer mm -hmm. something sits in plastic, the more leaching you're going to have. So it's only if it's only in there for a day or two, it's a short term thing. It's not a big deal. And There's what about be ultra, some leaching? But yeah. And what about ultraviolet light? Does that does that amplify it? Like if you leave a, oh, yeah. a plastic water bottle in your car for like an hour, you go to the gym and you come back and it's scalding hot. Like you've got now environmental estrogens in your plastic water. Yeah, heat increases uh, leaching. Oils increase leaching. So if you have olive oil in a plastic jar, you end mm -hmm. up a lot more leaching than if you had water in that plastic jar. So do not buy oil. olive oils in a plastic jar. Yeah, no, no oil. In fact, a lot of scientific research on oils, uh, it tells you that this oil is bad and that oil is bad. And honestly, a lot of it's just the problems from the estrogens that are leaching into the oils. Now, seed oils, I'm not a fan of. I mean, just just across the board if it comes from a seed and it's an oil it's probably bad for you mm -hmm. but like fruit oils like olives and avocados and coconut oils those are generally pretty good for you but you definitely don't want to buy those in plastics because again then you're going to have a lot of extra leaching and that's where you get these scientists that tell you those oils are bad most scientists wow. agree those oils are fine but the ones that argue that those oils are bad are the ones looking at those studies that are from plastic jars honestly Okay, so plastic jars, water, what would be the next one that would be right up there, close to the top of the list? Personal care across the board. I mean, the, the soaps people are rubbing on their skin, you know, the mm -hmm. fragrances in those soaps, you have to be careful. A lot of these companies, they use the term fragrance on the label, so mm -hmm. they don't actually tell you what's in the product, and that's legally allowed, so they can put parabens and phthalates and all kinds of shenanigans in the product. And they don't have to tell you. And those go through your skin, right? It's just like rubbing hormone cream on your skin. Mm -hmm. Your skin absorbs them. They're oily substances. So they prefer your skin rather than water. So when you're washing, you think you're washing it off, but it actually likes to stick in your skin, just like fragrance. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, that you tried Grande Soap, the tactical soap company soap. Like, yep. what did you yep. find as far as that product goes? As far Oh, yeah. yeah. I went to Bond if I didn't think it was good. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with fragrances and, of course, pheromones. But in that case, I don't have an mm -hmm. issue with all that. The problem is companies that are dishonest and they're sneaking in all kinds of weird fragrances. Usually if you open up something and it just smells like overwhelming yeah, fragrance, it yeah. it's probably some kind of fake petroleum knockoff fragrance. Yeah. Um, and yeah, most of those act like estrogen in your body. You know, I get a, I get heat from guys more specifically because i have a soaps i mean they also have a beard oil too but i have a, a toiletry company that sells soap and because it's pheromone infused a lot of guys absolutely like lose their mind like oh he's you know he's a soap or he's a snake oil salesman or something like that it's like no dude like go go to costco and buy your you know 72 pack of green smelly soap and you'll get it for a lot less but there's a reason yeah. why it's cheaper, right? Like, like there's phthalates, there's all kinds of things in it that when you put yep. it on your skin, your skin absorbs it. It, yep. it, it does act like estrogen in your body, right? I mean, maybe that's yep. part of the reasons why they're acting like little bitches. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> I will too, because, you know, scientists see that in animals and they have technical terms that they can use like sexual apathy and all this to kind of couch it. But that's basically what it is. Really? Um, oh, sure. Male feminization. It was pretty funny. Uh, 
you know, they won't say that anymore in scientific studies. But if you go to PubMed and you literally look up studies that where they just use, you, you put it in quotations, male feminization, you'll find yeah. all kinds of studies. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason they use these products, like you said, and it's worth reiterating, yeah. they're super cheap. It's petroleum. You can literally buy kilograms of this stuff for pennies almost. And yeah. and so they rationalize it and they tell you, like I've interviewed scientists that work for these uh, fragrance companies. And they say, oh, we add parabens and phthalates because it carries the perfume further through the air. And it's like, it's bullshit. You're just putting them in there because it's cheaper. Well, it smells good too. I think that, that, that people are easily attractive to sweet things or anything that smells good. And, you know, you open up that big box of 72 soaps and it's like, boom, it's like, wow, that smells good. And you think that you're, you know, going to smell nice and fresh. They have all kinds of names for it. Like Scottish mountain Springs or something like that. You know, they'll make up stuff to get you like, you know, yeah. let's go and get some of that. But, uh, yeah, like yeah. I never thought about this before I read your book, right? Like when I got in your book, I'm like, holy shit, now I got to throw this out. Then I got to throw that out. Um, okay, so we've talked about water. We've talked about toiletries. What is it specifically in toiletries that people should look for? Is it is it just phthalates? No, they should watch for parabens too. Parabens? Phthalates and parabens are both broad categories. It's not like BPA is one molecule, right? But parabens and phthalates, like there's methylparaben, there's propylparaben, there's butylparaben, there's a whole, there's hundreds of different parabens. So if somebody says, oh, we've studied the parabens and they're safe. It's like, which one did you study, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem is your, your body breaks them down. So even the breakdown products usually act like estrogen, um, which, you know, most people aren't looking at the breakdown products in some of these uh, precursor studies, these initial studies that are really just, just looking at one molecule and arguing to the government that these things are safe. So, you know, sunscreen is an interesting example that's very similar. So I recommend people are very cautious with the sunscreen. Mm -hmm. There's a chemical in there called oxybenzone or benzophenone. It's a synonym, benzophenone mm -hmm. and oxybenzone. And they literally had this chemical legal for like 50 years. And just a couple of years ago, after I published my book, by the way, they, they did a study where they did one application of sunscreen, just one. Seven days later, people's blood levels of oxybenzone were still above the government safety limits. Um, this is like cancer causing levels of oxybenzone. Really? Seven days after one application of sunscreen and all kinds of news media outlets picked this up and things. And that they never did the study. And they do that with a lot of these chemicals. It's like, well, where's the studies? Well, if it acts like estrogen, let's just assume it's bad, right? I mean, that should be the assumption for people, especially for men that don't want to load up their body with a bunch of estrogen. Yeah. Like every sunscreen So again, after I read your book, I went to go look at my sunscreens was, you know, one of the things I did after the toiletries and every sunscreen had oxybenzone in yep. it. Yep. I've noticed now a lot of sunscreens are sold and they say oxybenzone free, uh, yep. but they don't have zinc as the main ingredient. So the ones that are yep. oxybenzone free, do they just replace it with another benzone, something or another that's still dangerous? Oh, yeah. They sure did. Yeah, they use avobenzone and things like this. Yeah, they, they just play the shell game, right? It's just okay. like the BPA. They're playing shell games. Um, you're right. You want to look for the ones that are like 20% zinc and all the other ingredients you can pronounce, like coconut oil or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, you, those are good. No, do you no really problem. need sunscreen? Like I've heard some people say that it's unnecessary. Like if you stay out of the sun during the like start of the spring season between, you know, like 11 and 2, you kind of build up like a natural 
resistance to it. And then you can kind of like, I find that I don't really need sunscreen by the end of the summertime. Like I'm on a boat yeah. a lot in the summer and on the water and stuff. And I find that it's just fine. Is it, yeah. is it yeah, necessary same. to have sunscreen if you've got like a, like you're more kind of like a redhead, like paler sort of complexion, but somebody with sort of like darker hair, darker skin, would they be okay without sunscreen? I didn't use sunscreen at all last year. Okay. And, uh, I go fishing all day long on the ocean. I was mahi mahi fishing and all kinds of stuff like that. Long sleeve shirt, I, hat, still, yeah, but yeah, okay. yeah. If it's peak hours of the day, it's funny, man. When I go fishing, I literally take off my shirt. I'm out there with shorts, you know, fishing, and I set a timer for 20 minutes, or I watch my phone or whatever. And 20, 30 minutes into it, if it's you know a hot afternoon day or whatever, um, I'll after i get my sun i try and get sunshine and then mm -hmm. i put on the sun shirt the sun hat the sun sometimes even sun gloves if i'm fishing mm -hmm. but i'm not opposed to sunscreen either i just it's it's just easier to put on clothing it's just got to be zinc based yeah exactly it's got to be good yeah. quality stuff and um you know and again sunshine is beneficial a lot of these doctors telling people to ne never get sunshine and stay out of the sun and always put yeah, sunscreen on if you're it's terrible for you, right? I mean, sunshine detoxes your body. And I know it sounds mm -hmm. kind of silly to say it like that, but it does, it breaks the shit down. Like if you've got tattoos, you know this because your tattoo fades away if you go out in the sun, right? Like mm -hmm. stuff breaks down when you have sunshine. And the same thing happens with garbage building up in your cells, you know, heavy metals building up. Mm -hmm. uh, that stuff is broken down with sunshine and it accelerates that process, helps your body get rid of it. Yeah, last time you were telling me that one of the one of the uh, great ways to get rid of estrogen in your body is to sweat it out. So using a sauna, right? Yep. Yep. Um, exactly. And that also gets rid of heavy metals and other toxins in your body. It sort of like leaves through your skin. So it's so it sort of taxes your kidneys less too, if I understand. Yeah. 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 Saunas are unbelievable uh, or sweating in general. I mean, saunas have a unique advantage because they increase heat shock proteins. Mm. So we have these little whiskey barrel shaped proteins. They literally look like whiskey barrels under an electron microscope. They're pretty cool looking things. Mm. And after a while, your proteins get kind of beat down. It's kind of like a car, right? Like your car gets kind of beat down. And if you have heat shock proteins, they go into these little whiskey barrels and basically get refurbished. It's like a refurbishing center for proteins. Mm -hmm. And sweating, like if you go out to the gym and you just work out really hard, your body doesn't really increase heat shock proteins. But if you go to the sauna and you really amp up the heat and you stress out your body with heat, you increase heat shock proteins dramatically. So it's kind of like fasting. You get a lot of the same types of benefits you would get from intermittent fasting or something where your body just has to uh, tighten up a little bit, clean up a little, right? Clean up some debris and, and some garbage and take out the trash, you know? Is there, a, is there a difference between infrared saunas and just dry saunas, or is it pretty much the same effect with heat shock proteins? The heat shock proteins are pretty much the same. As long as you're getting heat stress, I like infrared because, you know, it actually heats you from the inside. And mm. uh, infrared itself has its own side benefits, like it increases nitric oxide, for example. Mm. Um, and that's beneficial in a lot of different ways, blood flow. and uh, It's good for heart, good for bedroom fun. It's good for a lot of things, yeah. Yeah. So, but they're both good. And, and so is sweating in the gym. I mean, if you want to just get rid of estrogens from your sweat, sweating in the gym is perfectly sufficient for that component. You just don't get the heat shock proteins. It's all good. Sweating is great. Got it. Okay. So, um, so back to the top five. So we got water, uh, toiletry, sunscreen. What would the next one be for you? Probably soy. I mean, soy is everywhere. Oh, this I've is going to anger a lot of people. <laughs> Anthony, 
I know. <laughs> what, is, I've been invited, what are the vegans going to do? <laughs> I've been invited on vegan podcasts before. Actually invited at a vegan conference one time to speak. And then they found out I was against soy and they removed their invitation. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so what's the final yeah. word on soy then? It's estrogen. Every scientist agrees it acts like estrogen. Nobody disagrees with that. Some people say it's good estrogen, right? And some people will say it's bad estrogen. I'm in the camp that says it's bad estrogen mm. for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is we have enough estrogen as it is. In our culture, we were getting bombarded with estrogen. The last thing we need is more estrogen. You know, like the problem with a lot of these soy studies is our bodies are so washed out with so much estrogen. If you add a little bit more from soy, it doesn't, you don't see an effect. And then people say, oh, look, it doesn't do anything. Well, it does, but you're already filled up with BPAs and phthalates and all this crap. I mean, check people's urine. The levels are insane. So it's yeah. harder to see an effect when your body's all washed out with estrogen, but that doesn't mean it's not causing an, an effect. And the other aspect of it is the vegans have like a technical argument where they talk about the alpha and beta receptors from estrogen and it kind of gets in the weeds mm -hmm. and I'm happy to entertain that argument but I have counterpoints to that too. And, and, you know, I don't, I, I've, I think I've even done some technical YouTube videos. If people search Anthony J. Soy or something, they'd probably find those technical arguments. Mm, okay. Um, so water, toiletry, sunscreen, soy, what would the fifth one be? Um, good question. Um, I mean, we're talking about the most common estrogen exposures, right? Yeah. I think the ones that are the most problematic. Yeah, I think the grains that are not organic, when people are just eating grains all the time, mm -hmm. the, a lot of these pesticides and herbicides that they use on the grains specifically, atrazine being the most prominent and, and glyphosate being the next most, they act like estrogen. Atrazine mm -hmm. is extremely estrogenic. Glyphosate is also estrogenic a little bit. I didn't even write about that in my book, by the way, because I wasn't sure about it at the time. It doesn't look, you know, the glyphosate molecule it looks like glycine. That's where they get the word glyphosate. It's basically glycine with a phosphate group. It kind of looks like an amino acid, right? It looks mm -hmm. like a building block for proteins. It does not look like an estrogen. So I wasn't totally convinced. And then there was just a few studies at the time, but now there's a lot more studies. And they're, they're very convincing that glyphosate acts like estrogen. And I think it's because uh, glyphosate sticks to metals right? It's called a chelator, C-H-E-L-A-T-E, -E, you know, chelate, mm -hmm. it chelates metal. So it binds to metals. So magnesium in your body gets drawn out from glyphosate. Calcium gets drawn out. Zinc gets drawn out, right? Glyphosate sticks to these metals and, and basically causes your body to get rid of them through the uh, stool. Mm. And if you've got a glyphosate stuck to magnesium, and, you, and you've got another molecule of glyphosate stuck to magnesium and another one. Now it starts to look like estrogen. So I think it's because of the chelation. It's because it's sticking to metals and you're getting like a, a multiple, you're getting a multiple chains of, uh, of glyphosates stuck together. So the, the long story short is people should watch out for grains, right? Because every freaking grain in America is sprayed with glyphosate yeah. or atrazine or both if it's not organic. Got it. All right. Let me just grab a couple of these uh, super chat questions that are kind of related to what we were talking mm -hmm. about here. Uh, you are Odin, <laughs> the bald head and the beard. <laughs> I've yeah, got the... I got two eyes still though. Apparently, Odin's only got one eye. He wears an eye patch. I don't know. Um, 
What are the best ways to decrease SHBG and increase free testosterone opinion on boron? Yeah. Uh, cheers from George from Canada. Oh yeah, George's. Yeah. Um, I think I know this guy unless it's a different one, but um, the boron definitely is my go-to for increasing free testosterone. If people have high SHBG levels, zinc is really important, but just lowering the artificial estrogens across the board, right? Like literally anything you can do to lower all of these estrogens we're talking about, the drinking mm -hmm. water, the personal care products, the grains that aren't organic, all of that stuff is going to increase your SH or it's going to lower your SHBG. By the way, Tonkat Ali also lowers SHBG. So, but that's kind of expensive. I generally don't need to go that extreme with people. I look at people's genetics. There's actually genetic differences for SHBG, for sex hormone binding globulin. Mm -hmm. um, like some people have a tendency just to buy from their genetics to have really high SHBG. What does that do? Lowers your free testosterone. Mm. And that's just a genetic problem. And so for those people, sometimes you have to go real extreme and go with Tonkat. Um, and on top of the boron, on top of the avoiding estrogens and all that. But most people don't have to go that extreme. Tonkat Ali is also a testosterone booster, isn't it? Yeah, but I think, yeah, mostly boosts it from freeing up your testosterone. But it low, it, frees your, it, it increases your total as well a little bit. Yeah, so um, I've got a supplement line. Um, let me just sort of put that up on the screen because that's one of the things I also had over here. So the Alpha nice. T product, which yep. I'm out of stock on right now, they have to restock it. It's got Tribulus Cryosin, which is an estrogen metabolizer, Tongat Ali, yeah. DIM, which is an estrogen yep. metabolizer, horny goat weed, ginkgo extract, and boron as well. Oh, very um, good. So yeah. it's a pretty, so it's a pretty solid product for stuff like that. Apologies for those of you that keep bugging me for it. I know it's, I know it's a hot seller, but it should be back in stock again in about two weeks. The last batch we had in just sold out because everybody that had pre-orders, they were filled and that was it. So we'll be back in stock in about a week or so. Um, this guy over here is asking about uh, hormones not being, sorry, hormones are not able to be filtered out of water. So the hormones in birth control can't be filtered out from water. Yeah, they can. They was, can be yeah, filtered. Uh, yeah. They can be filtered, but the municipal water companies don't do it. You have to do it yourself, basically. So right. do this. I mean, this might be a little bit of an out there tin tinfoil hat question, but do you think that the municipalities, like, do, does the city know that there's estrogen in the water, or they just don't oh, yeah. care? Oh, for sure. Because when I went to college in Florida, they had somebody from the city come in and tell us that there's birth control in the water. You probably should filter it. <laughs> So the government knows that there's estrogen in the water, but they don't do anything about it. I mean, this could, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is where you put the tinfoil hat on. You're like, ah, this is how they kind of keep you soft and weak and agreeable and you know, pussified yeah. sort yeah. of thing. Well, you know, I was doing plan. a, I was doing a Bitcoin podcast last week with the guy from the UK. Mm -hmm. First time I've ever done a Bitcoin podcast. That's not really your wheelhouse, though, is it? Not at all. He, but he yeah. wanted to talk about conspiracies and pharma okay. and pharmaceutical influence on politics and all this kind of stuff. But um, he was talking about uh, a lot of incidents in Hong Kong where he used to live, where everybody suddenly started having twins and he thinks they were putting something in the water because they were doing some kind of a water municipal water reorganization or something at that same exact time. So they were trying to do the opposite where they were trying to increase the population of children in that area. So I think there are, there's definitely some fuckery that goes on in, in certain situations, whether we'll ever find out about it. It's hard to know. Yeah. I mean, the city controls your water supply. Just about everybody gets their water by turning on a tap because the convenience exists. And 
you don't necessarily know what you're drinking most of the time. Yeah, so yeah and I'm not even a fan of fluoride. Uh, you know, honestly, you don't need it. I, I have zero cavities. I've not used fluoride in 10 years. I it does gut damage, doesn't it? It, it? it can mess up your gut bacteria. Most importantly, it can mess up your nervous system and your brain. It increases Alzheimer's, for example. The reverse osmosis uh, water filtration gets rid of fluoride? Gets rid of it. Yep. I'm yep. good. Okay. Yeah. And I did I miss a question that popped up there? Yeah, there's one more. Um, uh, do you feel better mentally and physically after implementing your gold plan of estrogen elimination? Is there a set amount of time people feel better? That's an interesting question. You still there, Anthony? You're frozen on my sorry, screen. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. my bad. That's right. I'm at my parents' house because I hit a I hit a deer a couple days, like two days ago. I smoked a deer. I totaled my car. Oh, did you cook it at least, <laughs> or was it not edible? <laughs> no, it was just completely crushed. I have it on my dash cam. <laughs> okay. And it was just like, it jumped out from behind a road, and I just whacked at seventy miles an hour, and um, so my internet's kind of crappy here, unfortunately. Okay, no uh, problem. So it's my fault, but. Uh, Oh, the gold estrogen. What was the question exactly? Uh, yeah, the gold plan of estrogen elimination. Is there a set period of time when people start to feel better? Yeah, it usually takes about six weeks. And I even had a guy who on a podcast on the air said, hey, look, I'm going to do my testosterone now and I'm going to measure it in six weeks and I'm going to get rid of all these estrogens and things. And he did. And he he got like a 50% boost in this testosterone. He was very impressed. Hmm. Um, it's usually noticeable. You feel better. And that's, that's usually what you see about 50%. It depends, right? I mean, if your testosterone is already 800, you're not going to double your testosterone in six weeks, but if it's mm. 300, I, I see it a lot. I see a lot of guys doubling their testosterone in as little as a couple months. Yeah. I wish I, you know, had done this before I went on therapeutic testosterone. So I could sort of test it on myself to see where my levels would have been, you know, before and after, after the full elimination. Cause I only did it after I started uh, TRT. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that's a question that comes up, you know, with a lot of guys is, you know, how do I improve my testosterone? I feel like my testosterone's low. I, I have guys in their 20s, uh, Anthony, and they're just like, um, I don't wake up with morning wood, Rich. What do I do? You know, what do I take to fix this? And it's like, well, you can start by eliminating estrogens out of your diet, eating good, exercising, and maybe using some supplementation that encourages, you know, testosterone production, like my Alpha T product. Um, yeah. Is DIM and calcium D glucarate still like the gold standards to eliminating and metabolizing yep. estrogen from your body? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Is there anything better than that or anything out there that can be used or is that really it? It's pretty much it. Unless people want to eat broccoli and, you know, brassica family members like cauliflower, cauliflower, um, broccoli, kale, like those are the, kale. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those help. But if you start overdoing those, then you get all gassy and stuff, you know, yeah, so you the problems you're going to be captain fart. Um, so, Let's so let's start talking about um, heart health and cholesterol because that's a little bit newer information. So, what you, what have you learned about that? Why is that such a uh, passion for you now? Yeah, it's a passion because I I personally think that cardiology as a medical profession is the most corrupt medical profession. Hate to say it because there's probably some cardiologists watching this right now. I'm not saying everybody who's a cardiologist is corrupt, but the, that profession in particular, it's unusually corrupt. Why is that? Uh, I think it's because they tell people they're going to die unless they get on statins. Hmm. Right. And that's the best sales pitch in the world. I mean, imagine you went to the car mechanic, Rich, and you had to, 
you know, and he, and he said, look, we need to change your oil or your car is going to explode and you're going to die. Well, that's a good sales pitch. Like you're sure as hell going to change your oil, mm-hmm. right? Like if you can use death as a marketing tool and tell people they're going to die unless they get on some fake prescription drug that's not found in nature, you're going to sell a ton of product. And that's exactly what they do. And that's almost exclusively what they do day to day. They just tell everybody your cholesterol's too high. Let's get you on statins. And they usually wait until you're about compensated 40 compensated for prescribing statins? That depends on the, the state and, and the, the, yes, for the most part, yes. <laughs> like directly, monet, like with money, or is it, hey, we're doing a retreat in Hawaii for four weeks, so we're going to take you along, Dr. Smith? It depends. I mean, usually it's direct. I mean, the hospitals get kickbacks, so then the doctors get kickbacks. But it's it's not like if you prescribe 10 of these, you get 10 times more money or something. But, right. you know, their salaries blow up. And what do statins just, do exactly? They just lower cholesterol. So they lower your, they block your body's ability to make cholesterol. And you um, need cholesterol to manage your endocrine system, don't you? It's like the building block for testosterone. It, it's the building block for testosterone, all your sex hormones. Exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, vegans, this is another strike against veganism because their total cholesterol is usually super, super low. Mm-hmm. Right like 110, 120. And you know what the doctors tell those people? They say, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's so good. In fact, are we able to screen share on this thing or not really? Uh, at the bottom, you should be able to hit present. Oh yeah, present. Okay, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna show you a study if I can. Um, yeah, so if you just hit present and throw it up on the screen, I think you'll be able to do it. Yeah, let me, let me minimize and pull up a study. I've got it right here, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. It's, it's saying, okay, window. Cholesterol study. Oh, hang on. I think sure. I got it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and do you see my 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 screen right now on the cholesterol? Okay, good. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm just getting this out of the way. Perfect. So you see the title of this study, right? Total cholesterol and all cause mortality. So what they're st- they're just looking at your total cholesterol, and this study is the gold standard. It's got 12.8 million people. Giant study, right? And all-cause mortality, that's just a fancy scientific way of saying death. They don't want to mm-hmm. say death, but they're saying they're studying what's your total cholesterol and not just what's your risk of heart attacks, but what's your total cholesterol and what's your risk of dying by any cause. So it could be heart attacks, but it could be strokes, could be cancer, could be anything. All right. And again, 12 million people, this is a giant study. Um, I just want to show you one graph from the study, right? And it's, it's right here. It's figure two. Um, let me try and blow it up here. Um, and you can see this total cholesterol, men and women, hazard ratio on the left. Hazard ratio, that means hazard of dying by any cause, right? You don't want a high hazard ratio. Mm-hmm. It could be it, it could be higher cancer, it could be higher uh, heart attacks, could be higher whatever, but you don't want a high hazard ratio. It just means a high risk of death. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're, if you're a vegan, your total cholesterol is almost always 110 to 120, right? And look at how terrible that is in terms of your hazard ratio. That's literally the worst hazard ratio you can have. That doubles your risk of death. But you know what the doctor is going to tell you? You know what your cardiologist is going to say? If you go in there with a 110, I guarantee you they're going to tell you, I'm so proud of you. Your cholesterol is amazing. Good job. Are they lying or are they just misinformed? They're just mistrained. That's just what they're taught to say. That's what they think. They think lower is better. Mm. And they get hammered with this in med school 
and they get laughed at if they think anything different, you know? Uh, it's kind of like the COVID stuff. It's like if they're taught, if, if, if they're saying something different than what the government says, everybody laughs at them and says they're wrong and all this. There's a lot of peer pressure in this. But you know what's the craziest part of this is if your total cholesterol gets above 200, check your blood work. It'll say it, they flag it. They say it's too high. They tell you it's terrible. You got to get on statins or you're going to die. Honestly, that's literally the best range, right? You can see where the hazard ratio is the lowest is above 200. Anywhere between like 180 and 280, I'm as happy as could be. That's exceptional. That's great. That's good for your testosterone. It's good for everything. Um, and again, your hormones are made from this. So if you're down here in the vegan range, right, uh, your hormones are going to be super low, your sex hormones. So the vegans complain about this. The doctor will say, oh, good job. You're doing so good. Your, your cholesterol is amazing. Your blood work looks great. And then, of course, they don't check their testosterone, right? Mm -hmm. but, but the vegan will say, yeah, but I have no sex drive and I have no energy. And the doctor will say, oh, strange because your blood work looks really good. Now, I'll look at their blood work and say, no, it doesn't look good at all, right? I want to get you above 200. Let's start eating saturated fat. Let's start eating lots of bacon. Okay, so total cholesterol over 200. So so what would be the max range? Like like the higher the better or? No, 300 like... is starting to go back up, right? You okay, so 200 to 300 is good. So I'm going to keep an eye on this with my own. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's interesting. Well, and I've had clients, Rich, that are 400, 500 on their total cholesterol. That's way too high, right? The hazard mm -hmm. ratio starts to go. Now, usually they have genetic issues where that's that's their weak spot and those people, I still don't tell them to go on statins, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, I tell those people to go vegan. You know, honestly, if your cholesterol is 500, it's probably damaging your arteries. And the reason for that, by the way, here's how they do it in med school. I've taken the classes. I've tutored the classes. I've taught the classes, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what they do. Um, I used to be very conventional in my thinking too, by the way, but I've just shifted a lot over the years. and It's been a slow process for me, but they tell you, look, there's a genetic mutation that causes familial hypercholesterolemia. What does that mean? It means your cholesterol is outrageously high, right? Like 500, your total cholesterol. And in those people, you see heart attacks at age 30. You know, like you legitimately see early heart attacks, really young. Um, therefore, cholesterol is bad. Cholesterol causes heart attacks. If it's high, it's bad. Mm -hmm. Lower is better. That's kind of the foundation for the way they think on this. Mm -hmm. Um but here's the thing. If you have super high cholesterol, it reacts with oxygen in your body, right? Like you've got red blood cells carrying oxygen and it becomes oxidized. If it stays in your body long enough and your liver can't clear it out, it starts to become oxidized and the cholesterol itself becomes inflammatory. And remember, inflammation is always the root cause of plaque in the arteries. So you end up with inflammation, you end up with damaged arteries. And the, the cholesterol is physically there in the arteries. I mean, it, it fixes the damage. And so they, they say, look, in those cases, you lower that cholesterol with statins. Usually that's what they do. Um, in those, the risk of heart attack goes away. And that's true. And you don't have to use the statins to do that. You can use the vegan diet to do that or manage that. Mm -hmm. At least get it down to 200 and then start changing your diet back. But, um, but the point is, like, when it's outrageously high, it's still not the cholesterol. It's the, inflam it, it's the inflammation from the high cholesterol. Does that make sense? Have have cholesterol levels changed over the last 50 or 60 years? Like, is this, you know, something they monitor kind of like testosterone levels you mentioned with that study back in the 1980s? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, they do monitor it. In fact, in that exact study, 
Uh, let me see if I can share the screen again, and hopefully it's still on that same image. Um, in that study, they actually have data. Oh, shit, I closed it. But they show the the average male or the average female. Here, I'll, I'll pull it back up because then I'm, otherwise I'm just... Yeah, I just hit the present button at the bottom there and it'll pop up on my end so I can put it in the screen. Yeah, I accidentally closed the, the whole PDF, but it, I just got it. There so go. there you go. So I'm going to go back to that same page we were just on. And you see the top of the, the page here with these two graphs? It mm -hmm. says mean total cholesterol, mean TC. That means like basically the average and median TC. So the, the average total cholesterol was measured in this study for men and women. You can see at age, you know, 40, the average uh, man is usually about 195. You see that? That mm -hmm. the green line. And the average women at age 40 is usually about 180. So they have this data, right? Mm -hmm. And so with age, it tends to go up a little bit because your sex hormones start to go down a little bit. So, so your body increases cholesterol in response to that, right? Your body's trying to make more hormones. It's trying to stay optimized. Mm -hmm. um, Got it. But in terms of like you asked about, you know, from 1980s or whatever, I don't know. I don't, I've never looked into the historical trends. Um, I'm sure they, there's probably a bit of a story there. Mm, interesting. Do you have a uh, favorite um, anti-estrogen water filter that you like? Oh yeah. That you yeah. It's on my website, the AJ Consulting Company com website. I don't own the, the filtration company or anything, but I mentioned mm -hmm. which one is my favorite. It's called the Purify Guru, G-U-R-U. It's all mm -hmm. stainless steel. Uh, there's no plastic. It's, it's just an unbelievable uh, pure, uh, you know, water purifier. It's a reverse osmosis and it remineralizes as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, if you guys go to Dr. Anthony J's website too, by the way, he's got a list of all the products that he would recommend that doesn't have any environmental estrogens in it. So everything from uh, laundry soap to toothpaste to sunscreen. I bought some of the sunscreen that you had recommended on your um, website, you know, prior and it's a, you know, it's a decent zinc sunscreen. The problem with zinc sunscreen is it doesn't like, you kind of look like Casper the Friendly Ghost when you put it on, right. it doesn't really absorb yeah, in. So you kind of have to balance that out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sometimes I put water on my hands first and then I rub it around. It just rubs in a lot better. If you get your hands wet, you don't okay. need a really thick layer. You can rub it on really thin and it still yeah. works. Is it, is it the same kind of zinc that you take as a zinc supplement that, oh, yeah. you know, like oh, benefits sure. your body in that sense? So it kind of goes yep. through your skin too, then if you're putting zinc on your skin. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because they used scientists used to say like oh these metals don't go through your skin like aluminum they say mm -hmm. it's okay to put aluminum in your deodorant because yeah, it doesn't absorb through your skin they but, took it out of your deodorant now yeah antiperspirant like, right yeah i mean they've done studies and it does go through your skin you know yeah um they used to laugh at people if you if you said that goes through your like metals go through your skin they would they would literally laugh at you science professional scientists and now it's proven yeah it's, it's very slow process it doesn't spike your blood level super high but it does increase your blood levels a little bit and that bioaccumulates over time so if it's a bad metal that you don't want accumulating in your body it's something to avoid and if it's good metal like zinc it's good you know mineral like zinc yeah i don't know man people don't like they make these irrational statements still and i don't know why they do it it's like i mean they like they'll tell you like doctors will say okay well your skin doesn't absorb anything but then they'll sell you a testosterone cream that you put on your skin to increase your testosterone right. <laughs> so right. it's like Yo, where are we going, guys? Um, does does estrogen affect cholesterol at all, or is there anything in the endocrine functions that 
uh, positively or negatively impact your cholesterol levels? Um, yeah, I mean, they, so your body can make testosterone and estrogen back and forth from cholesterol, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times when you take testosterone, probably better a better example for men, when you do testosterone replacement therapy, your cholesterol goes up a little bit because it can convert back to cholesterol. So if your testosterone is high, some of that gets converted back to cholesterol, not just estrogen. And sometimes that raises your cholesterol. In fact, that's why they used to tell people that testosterone causes heart disease. Mm -hmm. Not because they had any data on heart disease. It was because it raises your cholesterol. So they assumed it would cause heart disease. In fact, they did a study that uh, the VA, the Veterans Affair, I believe, they Mm -hmm. they took 80,000 veterans and they compared the ones that were on testosterone. They had a group, a, a pretty good number of them were on testosterone. Like half of them were on TRT and half of them were not. And they compared the heart disease over long periods of time. And there was actually less heart disease in the TRT people compared to the other group. So the testosterone replacement actually lowers heart disease, but their cholesterol was in fact higher, mm-hmm. which is another argument for like, why are we so obsessed with uh, cholesterol? Right. Because even if it's increased, as long as you decrease your inflammation by increasing your testosterone, and that's an important point with testosterone, by the way, everybody recognizes it builds muscle. Most people realize it improves your metabolism, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't realize testosterone, it accelerates healing. It lowers inflammation, right? So if you're, if you're living in a culture like we are, that tends to have a lot of inflammation, whether it's lack of sleep, whether it's just chemicals coming in from our processed food and all this testosterone helps to buffer against it. It doesn't fix it. Like you still don't want to cheat in your diet and have just nonsense foods all the time, Mm -hmm. but it helps. Testosterone Mm -hmm. helps to protect against that. What do you think about testosterone replacement therapy in general? I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. A lot of people need it. I think if you go to, it's like at some point, if your body jumps off a cliff, you know, doing all the natural things, it just doesn't bring it back. Mm -hmm. Ideally in a perfect world, you know, you start as a kid, like my kids avoiding all these fake estrogens and your hormones look amazing. And the doctors are always shocked. Right. I had a guy from Australia once as a client, his total testosterone was uh, 1200, like 1200. And the doctor told him it was too high. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) You know, this idea that testosterone is toxic or something. And he wasn't doing any testosterone replacement. That was just his natural level. Right. Um, that's the kind of person you want to be, right? You want to have loads of energy right from the start. Uh, you want to do this stuff early. But obviously, not of all of us did. I didn't. You know, mm. I screwed up my body in all kinds of different ways. And some of it's reversible. Like, I reversed my hemorrhoids. I used to have hemorrhoids and acid reflux. I don't mm-hmm. have those anymore. Doctors will tell you you can't reverse that sometimes. How do I know that? Because they've told me that, mm-hmm. but I've reversed it just by, I just stopped eating certain foods that I was sensitive to, especially grains for me, mm-hmm. uh, but everybody's different, you know, but the point is some people, if they jump off that health cliff, you know, they need the TRT to get back on. I'm a huge fan. It's unbelievable for some people. Mm. Um, you mentioned a food sensitivity test. I did one like 10 months ago and um, I noticed that there was several foods that create inflammation in my body. I, I think what they do is they test the proteins in your blood against certain uh, proteins in food. And then if it reacts and they're like, okay, you've got sensitivity to this and these ones you don't. So um, when it comes to these food sensitivity tests, what's your advice on, on following 
like guidance as far as planning your meals or your diet based on the results you get off that. By the way, you guys can ask for this, you know, through your doctor. Like it's like 300 bucks, I think is what they charge me for it. And I can't remember how many lines there were, but there was like, I don't know, there was probably close to like 70 like main categories of food, dairy, eggs, beet, certain vegetables, grains, like everything pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bigger fan of looking at the genetics first as the foundation. And you did that. We did that together last time we talked. And I think people should start there because sometimes you find some weird stuff that is a lot more informative than a food sensitivity test because the food sensitivity test can come and go, right? They can go up and down and sometimes you're more Oh, is that right? Like you can have have sensitivities to certain foods now, but in two years that may change? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like if you take, if you're, if you're not on TRT and then you start taking TRT, that can dramatically change your food sensitivities because it changes your body's ability to handle certain things and okay. changes your immune system. It's usually a positive thing, but it changes. Um, so I'm a fan of looking at the genetics to inform it. But then, yeah, if you've got a good food sensitivity, the problem is some of these food sensitivity tests are garbage, right? And you know this, I'm sure. A lot of them just tell you what foods you eat the most of. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, oh, I can't believe it. I used to eat eggs all the time. And then it came up as sensitive and I felt great, but now I can't do it. And it's like, well, you're just eating them all the time. So you had more IgG and they're just measuring IgG or something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you get a good food sensitivity test and it comes back and you've got some certain foods, I would avoid them. And here's the problem too, right? In America, a lot of people have uh, intestinal permeability issues. They have leaky gut, right? Their Mm -hmm. gut is leaking. And so... Once you develop, like, let's say that it's is just that, gluten. Is that stuff in your oh. body leaking into your gut or is that your gut um, acids leaking into your body? It's, it's your it gut both? leaking in your body. No, okay. it's, it's, it's like your, it's, it's sometimes measured with like LPS, like bacterial products and things, but mm-hmm. it, it comes from food, basically like glutens and things, or some type of an inflammatory protein or inflammatory, uh, uh, you know, some kind of an insult to your gut mm-hmm. that causes holes in the gut line. I mean, just foods in general are a little stress for, stressful for your gut. Like if you, you know, if you live in Minnesota, like me, you live in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, it snows all the time. It's freezing and thawing. And outside your front door, that sidewalk it gets cracks, mm-hmm. right? We have cracks on our sidewalks. Right. That same thing happens after you eat food with your gut lining. And that's okay. That's a normal thing. Your body heals from that. But if you eat 10 meals per day, you don't heal from that. So your gut has these cracks and they get bigger and bigger and eventually they turn into potholes, right? And now you've got holes in your gut. And let's say it doesn't matter what foods you're eating. Let's say you're eating some spinach, supposedly really good for you. Now you've got spinach proteins flooding into your bloodstream and your immune system says, oh my gosh, what the hell is this? Now you're creating antibodies against spinach and it didn't Mm. come from the spinach. It probably came because you were eating 10 meals a day and you have a sensitive gut. Some people, it's the dairy initially kicked that off and then they developed 20 other sensitivities, but it all comes back to the dairy. That's why I like to look at the DNA because sometimes if you figure out that root cause and you get rid of it, all those other sensitivities go away. Mm. But if you have sensitivities and you're eating those foods, you know, especially the the root cause food that's triggering the gut issues, or if you're just eating too, meal, too many meals per day, right? Mm-hmm. And you're never getting allowing your gut to heal fully. Uh, yeah, that leaky gut it can basically snowball into giant. I mean, you know, people like this, probably a lot of people nowadays, they, they're like, yeah, I'm sensitive to coconuts. I'm avocados and bananas. It's like, they have this whole list and it's like, well, 
that's not normal. That's a leaky gut. You know, mm -hmm. that's a definite leaky gut situation. Mm -hmm. And the and the way to heal heal that is with fasting. Usually fasting, and of course, just stop eating the food that you. That's a problem. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, even a three day fast or something. You know, it's it's a good thing. It's okay. kind of stressful if you if you're not healthy or something on your body. You know, some sometimes you have to case by case look at it. But that's why I do consulting. You know. Yeah. Let's talk about the DNA analysis. Uh, Lev says, Rich, what recommendation in Dr. J's DNA analysis of you gave the most benefit? Uh, what's the most surprising thing you found in that analysis? I don't know if you went back to it before you did this podcast. I'm going to have to try to go off memory, but it seemed, I mean, there's a few things that you point, I should really go back and watch that podcast again, because you kind of got into the weeds with everything. But one of the things that I seem to remember was um, you said that my that my DNA metabolize, <clears throat> metabolizes caffeine faster than most, right? Mm. Um, so I don't really need to worry about having a coffee at like noon. I'll, it'll be out of yeah. my system by the time it's bedtime. So um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about your DNA analysis, the source of the code that you use to analyze? Because oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. when I did it, I gave you my 23andMe code. Do you still yeah. use that? Is there something that oh, you yeah. like better? Like how does it all work? Yeah. So first I want to go back to that question a little bit and just – just note, just add a little footnote that um, that when we did yours, Rich, it wasn't like a normal consult, obviously, because we're on the air on a podcast. Yeah. You know, I want to make it relevant to everybody who's listening and not make it super boring and just be like, well, this is the here's the next gene and here's the next gene. And here's the next. so we didn't go through quite the same way that we normally would um, just purely so that we could relate to other people. Right. So we tried to pick things that more were more relevant for just general audience. Right. Um, but uh, oh, the 23 me. So, the, uh, yeah, I actually had to write my own software for uh, DNA consulting because for analyzing these DNA files, because I was not happy with anything on the market. There's nothing out there that I liked. Um, these reports that you get from these most of these companies, these free online PDFs or whatever, or you pay 20 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever it is, and you get a DNA analysis report, they're either way too complicated and you have to be a professional scientist to understand what they're talking about, or they're way too simple and they're just meaningless and they don't tell you what to do. They're not very practical. So I created my own software, so it, I, I have my own reports. But the most important part of it is the actual consult, right? Um, so I sit down with people and, and that's just 23 and me or ancestry or my heritage, you know, some of these companies, most of the companies use the same third party sequencing chip, mm. right? So they, they all have the different brand names, but they're all just sending it to the same company to actually sequence the DNA. What do they use? Saliva so still? Yep. They use saliva, you spit in a tube, you send yeah. it back. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you can, I recommend people use an alias and just make up a fake name. So you buy the kit, you can buy it with a prepaid credit card if you really want. And then you, you, uh, it comes in the mail, a little box comes in the mail, you spit in the tube, you send that tube back and then you register the kit. But when you register it, you can just say your name is Superman and you can make up a birthday. You can do all that. And you make up a fake email if you want, as long as you actually have access to that email address, you can yeah. literally have a burner email address even, um, is there so, a risk to them using that information against you? Nope. Uh, there's a there's an act called the GINA Act, G-I-N-A. It's like your genome something something act where they're, they they can't use it against you with insurance mm -hmm. companies and things if you have some pre-existing condition. And again, even 
it, you know, people say, well, that could change really quickly or something. It's like, yeah, use an alias, right? Then they don't have your name attached to any of that stuff. Yeah. So that's, I still recommend people, you know, try and hide their identity a little bit. With that. And, and, and what are the benefits of the DNA test? Like what do most people get out of understanding what the, what the code in their body is designed to do? Yeah. Well, uh, my, my whole goal is prevention, right? Like I want to prevent Alzheimer's. I don't want to wait until you get Alzheimer's and then try and figure out how we can fix it. It's too late. Alzheimer's mm -hmm. takes 20 years. You know, you're not going to fix it with a pill. Um, heart disease, same sort of thing. You don't want to wait until you have a bunch of plaque in your arteries and then try and fix it. You want to, you want to prevent that from happening to begin with joint pain. A lot of people have lots of different risks for joint issues. You don't want to wait until you got a bunch of your joints are degrading and you have osteoarthritis and you got bone on bone, right? You want to prevent that stuff from happening in the most precise way. Gut issues, same thing. Tons of people have gut issues. You don't want to just wait until your gut's leaking and you got 20 food sensitivities. You know what I mean? Like, the smartest people in terms of health in our culture are the ones that are proactive about preventing the issues before they start mm -hmm. saves you a ton of money in the long term, and you just have more energy so you can kick more ass in your career and things like that so that's my main focus whether it's from the sleep i look at sleep genes i look at gym genes like training and joints and back discs and you know all this stuff and thyroid like hormones and uh diet genes i look at brain optimization genes so i have a lot of different categories and mm -hmm. i go through all of it custom to the individual i used to do the reports rich i used to just send people reports i tried that like 10 years ago and then what ends up happening is people send me like 50 questions about the report it's like well i don't have time to sit down and go through those questions and then i realize that's the only way to do it because some people have a ph like i talk to a lot of medical doctors they want to get into the weeds and they want me to get into the weeds mm -hmm. but other people they just want like, what can I do to improve my health? What's the, the risky stuff that I really got to watch out for? The red flags. That's all they want to know. They want to know a couple supplements that they need and what they should eat. So is that easy? So is that what you generally get? Is you know, supplement with this, avoid this. You know, lifestyle change yep. that, and that's sort of like, does that fix every potential downstream risk? You know, when you're older, or does it just lower the risk? Uh, it lowers the risk, but I mean, you can you know, it's hard to prove, right? You can't say like, for sure, you're not going to get Alzheimer's 50 years from now, but mm -hmm. you can be pretty damn confident. You know, I mean, uh, you, if you do these things, if you approach it the right way in a really precise way, like for example, right? Let's say you've got an Alzheimer's risk and, it, and the risk and you look at the risk gene and it's related to heavy metal clearance in your brain, mm -hmm. right? which is a legitimate category on my DNA report. Alzheimer's is just like heart disease, by the way. It's not one thing. Everybody's saying Alzheimer's, like people used to say cancer. You know how they used to say like, oh, you've got cancer. And they didn't say you had lung cancer. They didn't say you had B cell lymphoma, right? They just said you had cancer. Now we make it very specific. We don't even say B cell lymphoma. Like we don't, that's just an immune cell. We say CD20 positive B cell lymphoma. Right? Like the more specific you can get on cancer, the better you can treat it, the better you understand it. And, and the, if you're just saying cancer in general, it's ridiculous. Alzheimer's is the same thing. Right now, we're just saying Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can get Alzheimer's. And one of those is heavy metals. One of those is sugar, by the way. Eating too much sugar all the time, your brain numbs down to the sugar. But let's say it's heavy metals. Let's say I look at your genes, Alzheimer's runs in your family. And you've got a gene where your brain doesn't clear heavy metals very well. 
Mm-hmm. Well, shit, we better be super proactive about checking your heavy metals in your blood, right? If you have heavy metals, let's get rid of them with glutathione infusions, with IV infusions or something. Like, let's be specific. And once you get rid of the heavy metals, let's be really cautious about foods that you're eating that might contain heavy metals like seafood and things like that. Do you um, like um, treatments like phosphocholine, Plaquex to get um, metals out of your blood? In some cases, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of liposomal or, or glutathione infusions, right? I've seen people yeah. that go and get those that have a lot of heavy metals. Like they have, they'll have like age, like I have freckles. So, mm. but some people have like age spots, you know, mm. and they go and get an IV. And those are oftentimes oxidized, you know, just junk building up in the cells. What does that like do? Does that metals. get rid of the age spots? Sometimes, yeah. Really? If it's heavy metals, yeah. Interesting. And people go in and talk to these people that do IV infusions of glutathione. They'll be like, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Somebody comes in, they got all these H spots and stuff, and they come out and their skin looks like it's glowing. It's like a transformation. It's awesome. It's it's like liposomal glutathione. Is that a skin cream? That's a supplement that it's you a take. supplement, like you pump it in your mouth, or is it just a cream you put no, it's in? It's just your like skin? a pill. They make them. Oh, it's a pill. Uh, I think you can do skin versions, but I've never tried that. I've just done the pill version. I think the supplement my, company that I work with has it on their menu. I just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't white label it because I wanted to focus more on performance and and, and fat yeah. burning and stuff like that. Well, and this is, I'm using this kind of as an example and it's mm. not common, right? Like most people don't have, it's too not much common. It's very expensive too, isn't it? Yeah. So I would do the IV. I, w- I wouldn't just say like, oh, everybody should go do IV infusions and take yeah. liposomal glutathione all the time and stuff. But if you have that Alzheimer's gene, I would, right? I would be paying mm-hmm. attention. So that's how you're proactively preventing Alzheimer's. Now, you could say, could they still get Alzheimer's? Maybe, but I doubt it. You know what I mean? Interesting. I am uh, <laughs> I am well chuffed with everything you've dispensed here anthony this is this is a lot of information um hang on we got here, uh, another question here from jim he says what home water filter would you recommend best prostate foods to eat and avoid please mm-hmm. thanks both to it. so we already covered the water filter that's on anthony's website uh foods to eat or avoid for an enlarged pr- prostate do you have any advice with that yeah most of the stuff with prostate is estrogen ironically which is what we've been talking about mm-hmm. um a lot of doctors like to blame testosterone. Dude, and that's because I've heard yeah. DHT, I've heard estrogen, I've heard insulin. It doesn't like I've seen all these different videos now. It's like avoid these if you don't want your prostate to grow. And it's okay, well, which is it? Is it all of it? Most, yeah. It's well, insulin, I mean, yeah, blood sugar is gonna be a problem too, but the root cause of most prostate issues is estrogen receptor alpha. There's two receptors that pick up estrogen, one's called beta and one's called alpha. Mm-hmm. And alpha is the one that causes prostate cancer and beta is the one that protects it. So there's a little bit of the like yin yang with estrogen. Mm-hmm. And this is why doctors oftentimes blame testosterone, because if your testosterone goes up, your estrogen goes up. And if your estrogen goes up, some people have more beta uh, activation, which is protective for prostate cancer. And some people have more alpha activation. It's a little bit complicated, but um, it's an estrogen problem, right? Mm-hmm. And these fake estrogens are part of it they're part of the story here because the fake estrogens like the bpas the phthalates the parabens all the stuff we've been talking about this whole time they activate that alpha receptor the bad receptor people can look it up on wikipedia if you go to wikipedia and you type in esr1 that's the gene name for estrogen receptor alpha mm-hmm. and then you go to wikipedia and type in esr2 that's the uh, entry for that's the genetic name for estrogen receptor beta 
-hmm. look up those two pages on Wikipedia and do a little bit of a deep dive on those receptors and you'll have more information on how to protect against prostate cancer. Okay. Um, Jim kind of followed up with uh, showers as well. Is it is it necessary mm -hmm. to shower water? Not necessary. It's it's a bit it's a bit ex extreme, but I do it. I have a whole house filter. Um, mm -hmm. But if you can't afford it, or if you're in college or whatever, what do you mean by a whole house filter? So it filters the water at the source when it comes in the house before it's distributed throughout the house. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, and do they make like a five stage reverse osmosis at, at no. the entry point? No, that would slow down your your water too much. So okay. it's just activated charcoal. You have like I have mine's like super tall, and it's they don't make it in, anymore, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. So I can't recommend the one that I have, <laughs> but. But they okay. still sell the filters, but they don't make the stage thing anymore. But it's just one stage, just activated charcoal. All the water runs through there and goes into my house. And then I still reverse osmosis filter it after that. I probably mm. don't need to, honestly. But but yeah, that's – but you don't have to even – but they, you know, like I, I've got kids that are sitting in bath water drinking it, you know, and stuff. And it's just like, yeah. well, the water in my town – so there's, there's a website. It's called EWG. You can actually check – your city and the water uh like the the safety limits and which chemicals are above the sa the government safety limits in your own city you put in your zip code and like the city that i live has five chemicals above the safety limit in the drinking water in just like the water pipes and most cities it's like one or two but my my city rochester minnesota where the mayo clinic is they used to have all these factories and all this nonsense and there's mm -hmm. a lot of crap that's just in the water so I even had I, I had a friend when I was working at Mayo Clinic doing stem cell research. She came in from South America, PhD scientist. I was working with her, and immediately like all her skin was all breaking out. And she had all these issues, and of course, what did she do? She went to the doctor and got all these creams and cortisol injections and all these you know drugs, right? Well, mm. I told her filter the water that's coming in your house, you know, and of course that fixed the problem. So. It depends on your city and your situation. Sometimes you have to do it. Most people don't have to go that extreme, but definitely filter the stuff you're drinking. You know, crazy. Um, we're coming up on ninety minutes. You've you've delivered a ton of value, Anthony. Um, I definitely recommend people get your book, Estrogeneration. It's on uh, it's on Amazon. You can get the Audible. I think I listened to the audio book. It was it was great. Um, visit Dr. Anthony J's website. You can just Google his name. You'll arrive at his website if you want to find. Uh, toothpaste, toiletry products, sunscreen, uh, you know, that he recommends that's clear of any of the endocrine disruptors. Definitely follow the advice that he's given. And if you want to get your DNA uh, analyzed, you can reach out to him. Is your website the best place to do that? Yep. Yep. AJConsultingCompany.com. I already have the report from you, but I want to book you privately to sort of dig into the weeds because we kind of cruised over it at 20,000 feet of altitude. So we'll talk after when we get off the air. But uh, yeah, guys, check him out. His web, sorry, his YouTube channel is also tagged in the title of the video. So you can find some of his, uh, you know, sort of shorter form videos talking about some of these topics as well. Anything else you want to say, you know, before we uh, wrap up? No, I appreciate it, Rich. I really do. And uh, it's good catching up again. Thank you. Appreciate it a ton. Thanks, Anthony.